uh, songs of the saints, enriching our singing by learning from the songs of Scripture. And uh, this is a book written by two Australian uh, ministers called Mike Rater and Rob Smith. And uh, what they do in this book is they uh, look at all the different songs uh, that are in the Bible uh, and uh, they uh, uh, explain uh, what uh, those particular songs uh, have to teach us about, about singing uh, as God's people. And so uh, it's a very, very helpful book. Uh, if you're on the music team, I think this is a must-read for you. Uh, but even if you're not, um, please grab a, grab a copy. You can get one at, at Kurong, or you can come and speak to me afterwards, and I can put an order in for, for the book. Uh, I think it's about $15 or, or something like that. Um, but uh, very helpful. And you'll find that a lot of the things that we'll be saying over the next month or so uh, uh, heavily draw uh, from what... Uh, the authors teach us uh, in this particular book. And so uh, please uh, grab a copy of that if you can. Uh, Well, uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then uh, let's uh, get stuck into this part of God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much that you've gathered us uh, together this morning as your people. Uh, We thank you, Father, that uh, we are the people who have uh, come to know uh, your goodness Uh, to us in the gospel. Uh, We thank you that uh, by your spirit uh, you have changed us uh, and changed our hearts uh, so that we might uh, see and understand and uh, uh, see how great you are uh, in what you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we pray this morning as we uh, hear this teaching about singing as your people Uh, And as we hear about uh, the gospel uh, through which we are saved, uh, we pray that you would uh, engage our hearts and change our hearts so that we might respond to you with great joy, uh, giving glory to you uh, who have saved us by your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, uh, this week uh, I got up early one morning to see an English football or, or soccer match with my son. Uh, It was on TV, uh, and as usual, uh, our team was down by a goal. Uh, It was 2-1 when we flipped on the TV. Uh, But the thing is, our team had the home ground advantage. And so, as the home fans sensed that time was running out, they began to sing uh, this wonderful chorus louder and louder as the clock ticked away. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard an English football crowd singing before, but uh, it was electric. And uh, as the crowd sang, you could see the team visibly lifting. Uh, The the singing was doing something to their spirits. And in the dying moments of the football game, we scored one more goal. And uh, the the match ended with a draw. Um, uh, it was a fa- fantastic uh, closing uh, to a wonderful game. Uh, you see, friends, music, and in particular singing, is a very, very powerful thing, isn't it? Uh, I wonder whether you can reflect on uh, where you have seen the power of music and singing before. Uh, perhaps you've seen it in the football stands, uh, or perhaps, uh, as John mentioned earlier, you've Uh, seen it in your lounge room as you sat uh, relaxing to your favourite music. Uh, John mentioned that uh, music has very 
therapeutic effects. Uh, it can lower the heart rate. Uh, it can relieve stress. Uh, it has very uh, healing properties. Uh, or perhaps you've seen it in the songs that you've grown up with. Can you think of uh, songs that you've grown up listening that have changed society? Uh, there are lots of songs out there, isn't there, that have changed the moral fabric of society uh, and, and the culture as a whole. Uh, think of people like Bob Dylan, for example, uh, or the Beatles. Uh, you see, music and singing is a, is a very, very powerful thing. Now, precisely because music and singing has the potential for such power, uh, it is something that can be powerfully used for the good of God's people. Uh, it is a good gift from God that can be used to encourage people at church and to strengthen our faith uh, as believers. Uh, I, I don't know what your experience of singing has been at church, but uh, I've often been very encouraged and uh, very moved by the songs that we sing in a way that has been helpful for my faith. However, because of human sinfulness, uh, it's also true, isn't it, that music can also do a great deal of damage in churches as well. Uh, you see, Satan knows the power of music, and uh, he will often try to manipulate and influence uh, the music and singing in churches in such a way that it will not strengthen the church, but it will uh, distract the church or weaken the church or even in, in some situations, divide whole congregations. Uh, so many of the fights and quarrels and resentments that you see in churches today uh, are precisely over this issue of music and singing. And so uh, because of uh, the power of music uh, and its uh, potential to be used for good uh, as well as for evil in our churches, uh, we're going to be looking at what God has to teach us about music and singing uh, as God's people uh, over the next four weeks as we start this uh, new series together. And uh, my hope and, and my prayer during this series is that uh, as we hear from God's word, um, I, I hope and pray that our minds will be changed, uh, our emotions will be affected, and uh, the practice of how we do music and singing at church uh, will be shaped by the things that God has to say. Uh, now, the first point I want to make this morning is that uh, in the Bible, saved people sing. Uh, people who are saved sing. And uh, you can see this in Exodus 15, uh, which is one of the first songs that are recorded for us in the Bible. Now, uh, in the Bible, uh, you see many songs that are recorded for us and uh, they don't just kind of pop up randomly uh, here and there in a, in a haphazard way. Uh, you'll notice that songs in the Bible actually come up at very important uh, stages or events of God's salvation history. Uh, they're like little signposts, if you like, uh, that, that point out the big stages of, of God's salvation history. And uh, this particular song in Exodus 15 pops up straight after Exodus 14, uh, that, that's pretty obvious, um, but Exodus 14 is that great salvation event in Israel's history where they were rescued by uh, 
uh, God through the parting of the Red Sea. Now, uh, we won't have time to look at Exodus 14 in in a greater manner this morning, Uh, but the thing to notice in Exodus 14 is that uh, it is a very God-centred chapter where God acts for his his own glory. And so, uh, you know the story. Uh, God leads the people out of slavery from from Egypt and he brings them uh, to what is effectively a dead end, with, with the sea on, on one side of them. Uh, God then hardens the heart of Pharaoh uh, and uh, the Egyptians so that they pursue the, the, uh, the Israelites uh, with their army and their chariots. Uh, so they become sitting ducks. You know, they have the sea to one side of them and they have the pursuing Egyptian army uh, on the other side and they're sitting there uh, very vulnerable. But... Just when it seems hopeless, God sends a a strong east wind uh, to hold back the waters of the sea so that his people can pass through on dry ground. Uh, The Egyptian army then uh, decide to to pursue them uh, through the the sea, but God is the one who clogs the wheels of the chariots before he, he sends the waters crashing down on top of them so that every single one of them drowns in the sea. And so uh, at the end of chapter 14, um, you can see that there that the people of Israel see and they taste the salvation of their God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to chapter 14, and uh, you can see there in verse 30, uh, chapter 14, verse 30, that Israel sees God's salvation, and notice that they see the dead body of the Egyptians washing up on the shore. Uh, in verse 31, uh, we're told that the people of Israel see, uh, the word see is an important word there, they, they see the great power of God, and they fear him, and they live in him. I mean, you imagine what it would have been like for the people of Israel after just witnessed this wonderful salvation. But here's the point. Uh, what do they do after they taste and see this salvation fraud? Well, 15, they begin to sing their praise their God. Moses and all of Israel and about 100,000 men, excluding the women and women, all Israel effectively become choir that sing praises to their God. Uh, the word praise that you see there simply means uh, to speak well of someone. Now, you can praise someone directly, uh, can't you? Uh, if I say, for example, uh, to John Pack that he's wonderful and kind and handsome, uh, then I'm praising him directly, aren't I? But it's also possible to pray someone indirectly. If I approach any one of you uh, after the church service uh, this morning and I say to you, you know, you know that John, uh, what a wonderful person is he? Uh, how wonderful and kind and handsome is, is John? Uh, I, I'm still praising John, aren't I? Uh, and so you can see that uh, you can praise God directly by telling him how great and, and wonderful he is. Or you can, you can praise God to other people uh, indirectly. Or you can, you can praise God uh, directly and indirectly at the same time. But uh, whatever the case, uh, all praise has the effect of increasing the glory uh, and increasing the fame of God. Uh, I think it's also worthwhile saying that praise... Uh, 
is not necessarily the same as singing. Uh, you know, because of the worldwide praise and worship movement uh, in the past few decades, uh, I think the word praise has often become uh, synonymous with singing, in Christian circles at least. But uh, you don't have to sing in order to praise God. Uh, you can simply speak well of him in, in many different contexts, can't you? Uh, in our speech, as we uh, tell others about how wonderful God is and uh, what God has done for us. That is just as much praising God as in our singing. But uh, singing, friends, is just uh, one way, but a wonderful way in which, we can, uh, in, in which we can praise God because singing is the natural response of the human heart when it has been captured by someone or something Wonderful and amazing. Uh, this is a bit embarrassing, but um, dating my wife, um, I started to write some songs. Uh, I'd never written songs before, but uh, I wrote some songs, you know, telling my wife how beautiful and how wonderful and how amazing uh, she is. Uh, and, you know, I even recorded some of these songs on tape. Uh, you remember what they are? Little, little things? Um, I recorded songs on tape and gave it to my wife, uh, which is now under lock and key. Um, but that's what happens when your heart is captured and captivated by someone amazing, isn't it? Uh, we naturally want to sing about it. And so here you can see that the hearts of the people of Israel have been captured by the God who is amazing. They've tasted and they've seen just how wonderful their God is. They've experienced uh, all that God has done for them in this, in this salvation that they've just seen by the waters of the Red Sea. And so they begin to sing. They begin to sing praises to this God with great joy. Uh, now, friends, uh, if the salvation of Israel uh, through the Red Sea um, is simply a, a foreshadowing, as the Bible teaches us, uh, a foreshadowing of the even greater salvation that we have through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want to suggest this morning that if you and I are Christian people, then we have even more reason to sing our praises to God with great joy. Uh, if Israel saw how glorious and powerful and wonderful God was as they saw the dead bodies of the Egyptians washing up on the waters on the shoreline, then I want to suggest that we have an even greater reason uh, to sing our praises to God as we see our true enemies of sin and death and Satan, who causes us such misery, being crushed by Jesus uh, on the cross as he dies in our great salvation event. This is why Christians have always been a singing people. Uh, have you ever noticed that uh, Christians have always been a singing people? Uh, I don't think there is any other religion out there that sings as much as people who are Christian, 
who have tasted and seen how great our God is. Have you tasted and seen the salvation of God? Have you been born again by the Spirit so that you have personally experienced God's salvation in your life? Uh, If God has uh, opened up your eyes to see your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, then friends, uh, you and I have every reason to sing our joyful praises to our great and glorious and wonderful God who has rescued us at the cross and by the blood of his Son. Uh, Now, uh, in the coming weeks, uh, we're actually going to think about what the Bible says about, you know, the times when perhaps we don't feel like singing. Um, I I know that uh, often, um, you know, we don't necessarily feel like singing all the time. But for now, I want to say that our times of singing at church should not be like funeral dirges. (laughs) They should not be, you know, a drag Uh, They should actually be very joyful times when our hearts are engaged and as we uh, praise our great and glorious God for all that he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Will you sing uh, in this way if you are somebody who has tasted and seen uh, the greatness of our God and his salvation? Uh, Now, the second thing I want you to see in the Song of Moses um, in Exodus 15 is that the first half of the song looks backwards to the great salvation that uh, they have just witnessed. Uh, They look backwards. Uh, And uh, it does this by telling us who God is and exactly how he has saved us, or, or how he has saved his people, rather. And so, for example, you can see this in the opening part of the song in verses 1 to 5. Uh, If you have a look there at verse 3, for example, you can see uh, who God is. He is a mighty warrior. Uh, He is a man of war who has gone into battle for his people. But you can also see that there is a summary of just how he has saved his people. Uh, In verse 1, you can see that he has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. In verse 4, uh, Pharaoh's chariots and his host, uh, which uh, are his army, he has cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea, it says. Again in verse 5, the floods covered them, they went down into the depths like a stone. Uh, but you see it again in verses 6 to 10. Uh, who is the God of Israel in verses 6 to 10? Uh, well, in verse 6, Uh, He is the one whose right hand is glorious in power and shatters the enemy. And how has he saved his people? Well, in verse 8, he simply blasted his nostrils and uh, the waters of the Red Sea were, were, were piled up for his people to pass through. And uh, even when one of the most fearsome armies in the ancient world expressed their desire to pursue the people of Israel and to destroy them, In verse 9, well, God makes a mockery of them by simply blowing his nostrils once again and uh, sending the waves crashing down on top of the enemy army so that they go down to their watery graves. And so, uh, after rehearsing who God is and how he has saved his people, uh, the first half of the song concludes in verses 11 to 12 
by expressing just how incomparably great and wonderful this God is. Uh, it says there, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Uh, now, friends, uh, what do we make of uh, all this? What do we make of all this? Uh, well, I think uh, that songs like this in the Bible uh, have been recorded for us in order to teach us something. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, uh, Paul says, Whatever was written in the former days was written for our, for your, for my instruction. Again, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching his people. In other words, the songs that we find in the Old Testament are meant to teach us something. And uh, I wonder whether the thing they teach us it has largely to do with the content of the things that we sing. Uh, you see, just like the prayers that we find in the Bible uh, should influence the content of the things that we pray to God, the songs in the Bible should also influence the content of the things that we sing about. Uh, of course, as Christians, uh, we don't look back to the Exodus uh, and the Red Sea as the place of our salvation, uh, but rather we are the people who look back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our salvation event. That is where salvation was won for us by the blood of our Lord. However, like the song of Moses, the words to the songs that we sing uh, when we meet together like this should be full of references to who God is and how he has actually rescued us at that place, at the cross. Indeed, who God is and how he has saved us reasons for why we praise God with great joy. Uh, now, uh, I reckon there are many Christian songs these days that are all about praising God, but they don't actually give us a lot of reason for why we should be praising him. Uh, listen to what uh, Mike Rader and Rob Smith uh, in the book that I've just mentioned uh, say about a song that was considered a, a Christian classic in the 80s. Uh, this is a song I grew up with. Uh, if you live through the 80s, uh, please restrain yourself as we uh, have a look at this song. Uh, you might recognize uh, uh, the words, but uh, listen to the comments of uh, Mike Rater and Rob Smith, which are in italics. Uh, it's going to come up uh, behind me. Can you, can you read that? It's a little bit small. Sorry about that. But uh, the, the comments are in italics. Majesty. Worship his majesty. Why, they ask. And to Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Why? Majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. Okay, but please tell me more, they say. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Sure, but why? Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Please tell me why. Majesty, worship his majesty, for heaven's sake, tell me why. Jesus who died, 
now glorified, king of all kings. Ah, now you're beginning to tell me why. And what is it they they conclude about this particular song? Well, they say that this is a song that is heavy on telling us that we should be praising God, but very light on in giving us reasons for why we should be praising God. Can you see that? Uh, Now, the purpose of all this is not to go on a witch hunt. Um, I also know that uh, not all songs can say everything, uh, which is why we sing many different songs. And uh, at least uh, this particular song does speak about the cross uh, to some extent, even if it comes you know, uh, as a bit of an afterthought at the end. But there are lots of songs out there, friends, uh, that don't look back to the cross. There are lots of Christian songs out there that don't even mention the gospel. They simply encourage us to praise God but they don't really mention uh, why we should be doing that. But can you see that Exodus 15 teaches us that the songs of God's people ought to be filled with reasons for why we should praise. They should be filled with descriptions of who God is and uh, what he has done for us and how he has saved us by his mighty hand. Um, I think we generally do pretty well at our church uh, in regards to this. Uh, We're very blessed by God to have people on our music team who uh, I know work very hard at uh, choosing good songs for us to sing that encourage us to look back to the cross um, so that we will have every reason uh, to, to sing our praise to God. Uh, we're equally blessed, I think, that we live in a time when um, there are good Christian songs being written all the time. And uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time later on in this service praying for some of those people. But uh, what about the rest of us? Uh, are we thinking about the content of the things that we sing when we come to church? Uh, Would you recognize if we sang a song that didn't explicitly mention the gospel? Uh, I think what God teaches us here is an encouragement for each and every one of us to be discerning uh, when it comes to singing at church, to desire to sing songs that truly bring glory to God. Uh, If we see questionable content, then, uh, friends, it is your responsibility as well as my responsibility in order to encourage the music team and whoever else is responsible to choose good songs for us to sing. For when we sing good songs that speak of how glorious God is and all that he has done for us, then we bring great glory to God. But when we sing songs that do neither of those things, uh, then I think that uh, it is not really a way that, of bringing glory to God, even if that is sometimes what we think we are doing. Uh, well, friends, uh, we've seen uh, that the song of Moses in Exodus 15 uh, looks back to the great saving acts of God at the Red Sea. But the final thing I want you to see uh, in this passage is that the second half of the song also looks forward to where God is guiding his people. 
And uh, you can see it there, for example, in verse 13, uh, which speaks about God leading and guiding his people to his holy abode, which is uh, God's dwelling place. Uh, Here, the people of God uh, are sort of uh, presented as sheep who are being led and and guided by God to uh, God's place and God's home. Uh, You can see it again at the end of the song in verse 17, where again you see the word God's abode once again. Uh, Here the people of Israel are uh, represented as fruit that will one day be planted in God's dwelling place uh, or his sanctuary. But uh, did you notice what is going on in the verses that are sandwiched between those two verses, uh, verses 13 and 17? Uh, The verses in the middle tell us about the pagan nations uh, scattered around the the promised land who have just heard about what has happened at the Red Sea, about God's glorious power in saving his people and destroying his enemies. And so in verse 14, Philistia, uh, one of these pagan nations, is having panic attacks. In verse 15, Edom is feeling doomed. In the same verse, Moab is trembling. Terror and dread have fallen on them because they know that the great warrior God of Israel is fighting on his people and he's leading them to where they are. Uh, I remember going to a a music seminar not long ago and uh, I know some of you were were there at the time. But uh, the preacher said that the true litmus test, he thinks... For a, good Christian, for a good Christian song should be whether that song uh, is worthy of being sung to a dying person, uh, to a Christian person who is dying. You see, the truly great Christian songs are the ones that are able not only to look back at the great saving events of the cross, but truly great songs are the ones that are also able to point you forward to where God is leading us uh, and guiding us. Um, I think uh, this is one of the reasons why we should keep on seeing the old hymns. For uh, I don't know if you, you've, you've uh, seen this before, but the old hymn writers understood that Christian songs should not only look back, but they should actually look forward uh, to comfort us with where we are going. Um, think, for example, the well-known hymn, Amazing Grace, by, by John Newton. Uh, the third verse says this. Third verse, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Wonderful words. Uh, or think about the popular hymn, How Great Thou Art. Uh, the last verse goes something like this. It says, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow with humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Uh, Or think uh, about that great Christian hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, uh, written by the Scotsman with a funny name, William Williams. Uh, the, the, The final verse says this, Uh, When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, 
Land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of praises. I will ever give to thee. I will ever give to thee. Uh, You see, the great hymns are the ones which not only look back to the cross, but they are the ones that look forward to our future inheritance. Uh, They express, express great confidence that God is leading and guiding his people home. And they are the ones that you would not feel embarrassed singing to a fellow Christian brother or sister who is on their deathbed. For it encourages them to look forward to where God is guiding them and where God is leading them to their eternal home. Uh, Well, friends, uh, let me finish up. Uh, A recent poll in the United States uh, suggested that 35% of people who claim to be born-again Christians do not read the Bible at all. Uh, Isn't that a shocking statistic? 35% of people who claim to be born-again Christians do not claim to read God's Word at all. And of those others who indicated that they do read the Bible, uh, the vast majority said that they only read it during the one hour they have at church each week. Uh, Now, admittedly, uh, these statistics are from the U.S., but uh, pastors in Australia have been raising the warning signs for a long time that biblical illiteracy is uh, on the rise, and we wouldn't be surprised if uh, in Australia things were very similar to what they are in in, in the United States. Now, uh, given the level of biblical illiteracy in our churches, and given that we sing on average three songs uh, once a week when we gather together on a Sunday, then uh, uh, I think one of the clear implications of what we have heard this morning is that we simply cannot afford to sing songs that are wishy-washy in content. I mean, uh, I think we would... Uh, encourage everyone to be regularly reading God's word, but uh, if what is actually happening is that uh, for many Christians uh, the level of biblical illiteracy is on the rise, then we want to do everything uh, in our churches and in our singing to teach uh, deep truths uh, that are presented to us in God's word that will help us to understand the gospel better. Uh, Now, uh, I'm not uh, advocating that we sing more songs necessarily, but uh, what I am saying is that uh, I think Exodus 15 uh, teaches us that the things that we sing about, the content of our singing, matters a great deal. And so we need to sing songs that look back to our salvation at the cross with all the depth and insight that uh, the the Bible gives us in all its richness. And we need to sing songs that look forward with great hope to our heavenly inheritance. Sing songs that we could just as well sing to our friends by their deathbed. And if we are the people who have had our hearts captured by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to be the people who sing with our hearts fully engaged giving glory to God for all he is and all he has done for us. For surely he is worthy 
of our praise. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good gift of singing, but uh, we thank you even more that you have given us every reason to sing as your people. We thank you for the cross of our Lord Jesus, where our salvation was won. Uh, We thank you that at the cross, uh, our Lord Jesus defeated our great enemies of sin and death and Satan. And we thank you that uh, you are also leading us to our true heavenly home. And uh, so we pray, Father, that um, as we've heard your word this morning, uh, we might be the people who love to sing your praises. Uh, We pray that our hearts would be full of deep joy because of your saving grace to us. And we pray that we would be able to express this joy by singing each time we gather as your people. Uh, good songs that reflect your kindness to us. Uh, Father, we thank you also for our music team uh, who serve us so faithfully each week and who lead us and encourage us to sing good songs that speak of your glorious grace. Uh, We pray for them and for the rest of us that we would be growing in our joy in the Lord Jesus and growing in our discernment when it comes to singing so that we can sing great songs that bring great songs